filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. From the minute I woke up, it was gonna be a lonely, 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 lonely day. Rise and shine, rub the sleep out of my eyes, and try to tell myself I can't go back to bed. So, Adam, did you see that Hercules Gomez tweet? Yes, it was awesome. Uh, it was a great response. Brian Strauss tweeted, or not Brian Strauss, I'm sorry, Matt Doyle tweeted out in all banished 11. Uh, everyone who's basically spent any amount of time in Jurgen Klinsmann's doghouse, and it's a, probably a better 11 than what Jurgen Klinsmann would ever run out in an actual competition. It was pretty impressive. And, of course, Hercules Gomez wasn't in it, and so he tweeted to Doyle asking, I can't even get on this team. It was wonderful, classic self-awareness by Hercules Gomez. I love it. He's great. He's very good at the Twitter, Ben. He's the best, and I wish he was good enough to still make the national team. Well, he's good enough to make Toronto FC's bench nowadays. Yeah. But I I wish 2010 Herc was still around on the field because he was awesome. But he remains an an awesome Twitter presence. Right, and... and he would certainly raise DC United's Twitter game if he had joined the team back in, I guess it was what, 20... Any it was year. before last season. or be, Yeah, it was before last season, wasn't yeah. it, Jason, when you wrote that we should sign Herc as a DP? Uh, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, it was, it was either before the 2014 or 2013 season. Um, I, don't, I think it might have even gone back to 2012. It was a, yeah. it was a long time ago. But... Um, <laughs> The the crux of my argument was that I was going to help him move uh, to DC. If, if that's what it took, I would help him move. You're a very DIY kind of um, advocate for for right. that for for Buzzard Point. You have on multiple yes. occasions Let's called go. for people to meet you down Let's there with shovels. And I mean, we could just yeah. end we could just end the podcast now and go start building the stadium. No one else will be there, guys, and it's dark out. We'll we'll be there. Do you have steel beams? I could get some steel beams, sure, whatever. Could you? Maybe. Where would you acquire steel beams? Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's a question I, you don't want to answer. I just would let, worry just let about it. show That's up and be good. like, oh, you've got steel beams, all right. I'll assume that you got these legally. Do we have equipment to move steel beams? Don't worry about it. Ben has a car. All right, luckily we're not doing that. Instead, we're recording a podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. men's national team, and lots more. We've got a, some kind of show for you tonight, and we're going to talk a lot about the U.S. men's national team. Um, as begrudging as I am to do that is... Anyone who listened last week knows I don't enjoy talking about the U.S. men's national team that much right now, but we will do it anyway. We'll talk about the 2-3 to three loss against Mexico in the Copa CONCACAF, which I will only refer to by its Spanish 
name, not the English name because I did enjoy we the, lost. Uh, I did enjoy what the Total Soccer Show guys called it. They called it the most goldest cup. <laughs> All right, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Uh, I, I will still refer to it just as Copa CONCACAF because CONCACAF itself also sounds better when it's part of a Spanish phrase. I think it does anyway. Anyway, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the friendly coming up tonight as you're listening to this, possibly in the past as you're listening to this, against Costa Rica Tuesday night. Uh, that's 6.30 on ESPN and we must. We'll talk about that a little bit. And we will talk about Sunday's MLS action, DC United against the Chicago Fire at RFK on Sunday afternoon. We'll, we'll close the show with that. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So you, I have, to, you have a wine key in your hand. I do, but that's more for gesturing and for bottle opening sakes. Um, so I went to my local craft beer purveyor, and I was looking for a beer that summed up my feelings towards Jurgen Klinsmann. And I recently went to this brewery and had a wonderful time. So if you're ever in the Roanoke area, you should go to Parkway Brewery, and you should get their Get Bent IPA. <laughs> Get Bent IPA. How is it as a beer? It's great. It's one of my favorite IPAs. I'm, I'm a picky IPA drinker. I like them not just overwhelmingly bitter. I like them a little citrusy, a little piney even. So this one is right in my wheelhouse. And it helps that it lets you, it, it sums up your thoughts on the U.S. Yeah. Men's National Team Manager. It, it has a curmudgeonly old man on it with a cane yelling at you to get bent. So that's, you're, that, that's what I'm saying to you. I mean, that's you in general, not just toward you. Well, that's, that's mostly Jason, not me. That's true. That's true. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I didn't pick anything having to relate to my feelings about any particular team. Um, I have a bottle of... But you uh, also have Get Bent. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I've never had that beer. Um I have a bottle of Breckenridge Brewery's uh, 72 Imperial. It's a barrel-aged chocolate cream stout uh, that I picked up because it sounded really good, and I was waiting for the weather to turn enough where it would make sense to drink. Um, and it, it kind of has. Uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty good. The, the chocolate uh, is really coming through, and it's pretty boozy, um, which barrel-aged beers often are. This is not – they're not holding back. Uh, let me see. It's only 7.2%, but it comes across as stronger. 27? Huh. 7.2. Oh, okay. It's only 7.2. Okay. My, it's, get, get bent it comes across also, as like a 9%, though. Get Bent is also 7.2 and does not feel that powerful. Mm. So hopefully well, this doesn't turn into a disaster. <laughs> well, Jason's feels too powerful. Yours doesn't feel powerful enough. We are right where we should be on net. I am drinking something much boozier than both of you. I, I kind of futzed with a Manhattan tonight. I uh, used some 100 proof rye and uh, some sweet vermouth, but threw some Applejack in as well for a part of the vermouth just to create a very fall kind of harvesty cocktail. Uh, it's, it's Yeah, it's all falling crap. I'm, I'm walking around in my, my cardigan drinking not pumpkin spice anything. I'm but drinking whiskey and whatever. 
anyway, it's it's a tasty drink. It definitely packs a punch. That hundred proof rye and the applejack for part of the the vermouth definitely makes it yeah. a stronger drink than it otherwise <laughs> would be. Um, so you know when I'm when I'm slurring words together at the end of the show, uh, you will understand exactly why. We have to talk about soccer now, don't we? I mean, we we could just not, keep not, talking not about booze. Yeah, we could just keep talking about booze and steel beams. You're you're the host. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, but I have this this desire for people to listen to the show, and so I feel like they're coming expecting soccer, and you should give the audience what they want. Not necessarily what they expect, but what they want. And I imagine what they want is to hear goat soccer. Yeah, I was going to say, what you're talking about is goats. <laughs> Last week I said that I would rather talk about it than Jurgen <laughs> Klinsmann's U.S. Men's National Team. So and now maybe, you really maybe we should. Yeah, after, after what happened on Saturday, the U.S. Men's National Team will not be representing CONCACAF at the Confederations Cup after falling to Mexico 3-2 to after extra time in Copa CONCACAF. First half, Jeff Cameron quickly equalized Chicharito's opener, and then no scoring until extra time. Uh, Arriba Peralta scored, then Bobby Woods scored, and then Paul Aguilar scored the Galazzo of his life with two minutes left, and that was it. Ben... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin this in an entertainment fashion. It was certainly a dramatic game down to the end. It was more exciting than I would have preferred. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good game to watch if I hadn't been in a ball of anxiety the entire time. If I'd been a neutral, it would have been a very entertaining game to watch. Um, so at least that was good. Uh, they weren't blown out, I guess. Uh, they were in the game for most of the game, at least by looking at the scoreboard. I mean, we'll get into it more, but looking at the play on the field, and that's a little different story. But, um, yeah, it was a fun game to watch, and it got good TV ratings, uh, especially on uh, Univision. So, yeah. Jason, like Ben said, it was, you know, it was like the game was level for almost its entire existence. There were, you know, three different times Mexico went ahead. Twice the U.S. relatively quickly came back. Um, that said, did the U.S. have any business winning this game? Uh, not really. Um, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been kind of a stolen game because Mexico put the U.S. on their heels almost immediately. And it was funny early in the game. I thought that, or I, I should say, before the game started. Um, Mexico's previous play under Tuca Ferretti had been to play a 5-3-2 but play a high line um, and really compress the, the space between the, their furthest forward player and Rafa Marquez playing almost as a sweeper. Um, there was almost no space in there. So they weren't really doing that. They kind of kept their line deeper than I expected but um, would just send flood numbers forward when they got the ball. And I thought that they were going to tire themselves out. Um, but the U.S. didn't really make anything of that. The, the extra ground Mexico gave themselves to cover, uh, the U.S. didn't really do anything with that. They, they didn't make them work harder. They they just sort of let themselves be pinned in. Um, and 
the only adjustment they really made to anything was just to to flatten out the midfield to make them better at being pinned in. Um, yeah. But that was it. It wasn't a let's stop being pinned in. It was like, well, this is what's happening, so let's uh, batten down the hatches. Um, this this it wasn't you know getting out of the way of the hurricane. It was putting you know nailing some boards to the door and hoping for the best. Um, and unfortunately, against a team as good as Mexico, eventually you pay for things like that. And um, the funny thing is that the U.S. still was in the game because of some classic Mexico flaws. Their set-piece defending uh, was atrocious, uh, and apparently it was um, a communication issue that Mexico's field players thought their goalkeeper should have come like 17 yards off his line to <laughs> steal a free kick uh, while while they, the defenders were also completely absolved of the job of like marking or getting in the way at all. A driven free kick at that. Yes, a, a driven Michael Bradley's service was low and hard. It was not with, a loop. With a hard cross. run from Jeff Cameron, and Moy Munoz is supposed to come out and get that ball, according to the sideline report of Rafa Marquez and the center backs all yelling at the goalkeeper. Um, well, to be so, fair, nothing is ever Rafa Marquez's fault. No, and, and except that um, everything is in fact Rafa Marquez's fault. <laughs> Um, and then, and, and then the second goal. Jurgen um, Klinsmann is Rafa Marquez's fault. <laughs> um, with the, with Bobby Wood's goal, uh, I think Mexico when they scored um, the Peralta goal, I think they sort of felt like the game was won at that point. I think that they were got it in their heads that they were one goal away from sticking the knife in, and it would just be over from there. And if 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 they've ever paid attention to this matchup between these teams. It's never really over. Even even when Peralta's or even when um, Aguilar scored very very late, the U.S. team is never completely dead. They don't give up. They might have problems. They might not be doing things correctly, but they don't give up against Mexico. And that the defending on that goal was like, what are you guys even doing attacking? Like this game is over. Go go you know give up. And we you know the U.S. is running and trying, and they score a goal. Um, so that's that's. I guess those are positives that the U.S. can take advantage of Mexico flaws, but those are the only reasons that this game wasn't two nothing, three nothing Mexico in 90 minutes. Um, is that Mexico maybe wasted a couple looks, and Mexico didn't really have the the discipline to deal with some of their standard flaws that they always bring to the table. Um, in a lot of ways, this was a very standard U.S. versus Mexico game. The things that we're stereotypically supposed to be bad at. We were. Um, the only problem this time was that we're n- we weren't well coached. Um, in the past, we've at least been well drilled and organized, and in this case, we weren't really well drilled. We weren't organized. We had Jermaine Jones playing left midfield, um, and then we when we flattened out the midfield, that only makes it more a more severe thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess we'll have to get into Klinsman, but. Um, as far as who deserved to win, Mexico clearly deserved to win the game. Um, it would have been fun to steal it from them, but uh, it would have been stealing. So I, I do have to say, when when the lineup came out, it there was no Ventura Alvarado, so I, I approved <laughs> of the lineup as far as I can. Um, but the the lineup looked... There were certain memories that, that came with this lineup. It was... A diamond midfield at the outset, anyway, with Michael Bradley sitting in front of Kyle Beckerman and behind Josie Altidore and Clint Dempsey with uh, with Jermaine Jones on the left and 
you know, Jesse Zardes was on the right, but he could have been anybody. You had Demarcus Beasley at left fullback, Jeff Cameron at center back, and Fabian Johnson at, at right back. This looked a lot like the World Cup uh, lineups that Jurgen Klinsmann would throw out, which was great, except that we've had an intervening 15 months of Jurgen Klinsmann trying shit. And it turns out we, well, we could have just been drilling this team for 15 months. And, well, and I would also add that this performance was a lot like the four World Cup performances. Uh, backs really to the wall, defending for your lives for 90 minutes or 120 minutes because why bother ever getting to play? Like, like why have 10 minutes of a stretch of the game where you don't have to be defending inside your box the whole time? Um, where your center backs don't have to win like 15 headers per half to keep your keep your team in the game. Um, and that's the problem with, I, I guess, Klinsman just doesn't know how... I know he knows, he has an idea of what he wants his team to look like, but he doesn't seem to have an idea of how to get them to play that way. And this is the consequence, is that he plays a diamond that looks a lot like the World Cup diamond, and he talked about how he wanted that team to play at the World Cup, and then what we got was... Tim Howard having to stand on his head for the whole tournament. Um, John Brooks scoring uh, a set-piece goal after Ghana finally got the goal that they more than deserved in that game. Um, because let's let's not forget how that one went. Dempsey scored in the first minute, and then mm-hmm. Ghana promptly uh, had us defending like three yards out from our goal for the next 80 or 70-something minutes until they scored. And then we get the sucker punch uh, goal with Brooks. Um that's not that. This is a, a thing about process. Like people always cite the World Cup as a Klinsman plus. I don't think it counts as a plus because I think if we played that way, if we played those teams in those circumstances, I mean, it's all hypothetical. But if we could replay those games in those circumstances with those tactics again and just not catch an inordinate amount of luck, you lose the game. And soccer's always gonna, soccer teams are always going to rely on some amount of luck. Um, even the best teams rely on some luck. But you don't want luck and, and emergency defending and goalkeeping to be the only thing that's keeping you afloat. And here we are, 15 months later, doing the exact same thing. And this time with Altidore, so that excuse was off the table. He was in that game uh, on uh, on the weekend. So, Josemar Altidore. Yeah, we actually got Klinsman's plan A this time, and it looked a lot like his plans B through E. Wait, 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 I'm confused. There were strikers? Playing yeah, yeah, you, you heard me mention. Time. Yeah, you heard me mention Clint Dempsey and Jassy Zardes as well as Altador. Oh, Jassy Zardes, the fullback. You mean? No, 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 no. No, he he's actually a striker, even if it looked like he was playing fullback in this that game. So, looking ahead a little bit, is this the time when we finally turn the page on on some of the older veterans? Demarcus Beasley's already retired once. Uh, from the national team. Is this where he goes and, and concentrates on his last year or three with the Houston Dynamo? Is this where Jermaine Jones finally rides off and slide tackles that sunset? Uh, with DMB, at least, I think it is part of hearts he probably regrets allowing Jurgen Klinsmann to convince him into coming back in. I hope he does. I really hope he does regret it, because it was a clearly... It, it clearly did not turn out to be a rewarding decision. No, no. Jermaine Jones will slide tackle anything and everything that comes his way until, like, Jurgen tells him he's no longer allowed. So he's not going to – I don't see him voluntarily 
leaving the setup. But, I mean, if he's going to play left wing or even the left side of a midfield diamond, that's that's not a role for Jermaine Jones. We can't, that can't happen. Jason, do you want to see some of these vets... Uh see us turn the page on, on some of these veterans, thank them for their service and, and put them out to pasture? Or, or do you think some of these guys, especially someone like Clint Dempsey, who is up there, is a veteran, but hasn't been playing great, honestly, for the last year or so, but may still have something to give this program. Who do you, who do you want to see go? Who do you want to see stick around? Um, I guess, be, I mean, Beasley, it's time to retire. Someone... The, the younger left backs are not going to get to where Beasley is at his best um, or was at his best without playing some of these games. They've got to, you know, eventually they have to play the, the games. Um, they're not going to get it. They're not going to learn this at their clubs. And um, Fabian Johnson is playing left midfield at his club. Not that he's going to, he'll probably never get called in on a Clinton again now um, since Clinton has decided to, um, you know, blame him for everything. Uh, Especially, which is just maddening because he had Wondolowski up as a third sub um, before he, he, like he was going to use his third sub not on Ramondo anyway, so he can't, he's making up a story now. It's an outright We'll talk about this a little bit more in the next segment. Anyway, um, left back is going to be a problem for a while um, and uh, unless you start putting somebody in, whether it's uh, Greg Garza, um, Jonathan Bornstein? Uh, who who at least plays sometimes at um that would be an amazing now. that would just be a h- hilarious I I don't want it to happen but that would be a hilarious um, move but uh there there are guys that uh, you know be- Tim Tim Tim, that, Tim, Ream, Tim Ream even should could play left back uh, I don't think Tim Ream's an international left back well um, yeah but yeah he's someone and he's also not really young anymore either true. but the problem is somebody's got to get. Somebody's got to. There has to be a hierarchy where it's not just who's going to be a left back out of these like seven people that it could be tomorrow. Um, Kyle Beckerman at this point is probably not like he's not going to be any more mobile at any point, and this team seems to require that mobility um, more than ever um, in that in the central midfield since everything is always so slapdash and chaotic, and there's a lot of scrambling around trying to make emergency plays, so you might as well put players in that are going to fill those roles a little better. Um, I, if Jermaine Jones is, play, is the left midfielder, then that's got to change. Um, I don't think I don't think Klinsman is going to drop Jones until Jones retires. Jones is going to have to say, I'm not coming. He's never going to drop him. Um, as far as Dempsey goes, I think, I wonder if Dempsey is just not buying in um, to Klinsman. I, I could see Dempsey being like, this guy is full of it. I don't have to, I don't have, I don't need this in my life. Um, he gets called in and he, you know, feels an obligation because it's the national team, but it's, it's hard when, if you don't buy what the coach is selling, it's hard to get motivated. And I feel like Dempsey's the kind of guy that has to be buy, buying in or else you'll get, the thing is he play, he actually played well when he got the ball. He just wasn't involved enough. Um, and some of that's on him. He's got to involve himself more. Um, but some of it, too, is, you know, how does Klinsman get someone like him on board after making him captain and then stripping him of the captaincy? Um, 
and you know, also Dempsey is probably smart enough to be like, this guy doesn't really know very much. Like, I'm getting better coaching at my MLS club, um, and MLS is not supposed to be this uh, high-end league when it comes to coaching on and off the field. Um, so if Dempsey's seeing that 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 difference, then that's going to be hard for hard for him to fix. And if he's not interested, then you do have to start to wonder who else could play up top if you're going to stick with two forwards. Um, the other thing is maybe you don't stick with two forwards, and then you know where does Dempsey fit in at that point? Um, which is all, another issue. And I'm sure at some point soon Klinsman will play a four-five-one and then switch it to some other thing and then switch to a third thing all in one game and all like off the cuff essentially. But he'll have talked up one of those formations for like three months beforehand. You know, we on this show have been big advocates for return to soccer's roots, really, in, in the 2-3-5. And if Klinsman ran that out, I think, I'm not going to say all would be forgiven, but a lot would be forgiven. If he ran that out for like 20 straight minutes, even 10 minutes, even 5 minutes. We'd but, be down 4 to nothing in, inside of 10 minutes, but it would yes, be... but it would be amazing. It would be a, a wonderful demise, essentially. Stick around, we will be right back. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We're still talking about the U.S. men's national team. God help us all. They have a friendly on Tuesday night in New Jersey against Costa Rica because – why the hell not? It's a FIFA window. You may as well get your money's worth. Except uh, they won't because the attendance numbers are awful. Yeah. Yeah. 8, having having made the trip, made the, the on the path from out to Bull Arena and back, it is it is forever. It is it is a very long trip. It's like going to the soccerplex, which as Anyone who's tried to do that for cup game from DC proper knows that it's not an easy oh, trip. You, it is a time. You poor baby. <laughs> my trip is my, my trip saying, to the soccer park is that plus half an hour. Yeah, and it's <laughs> and how many people from Crofton are making that trip? How many people from Annapolis? How many people from? Uh, Waldorf, how many people from uh, Northern Virginia are making that trip? 
Not not a lot. Yeah, is my not. point. Yeah. Is it's I mean, it there's a reason you put things in the center of of the region and not on the edges. Yeah. But... And Red Bull Arena, it's it's close to the center, but there's a big river and I would, you know, I would some think distance that, between it and the actual center. I think it shows for that game would also be a lot better if anyone felt good about the national team. Yes. Yeah. There's also, there's also the, the fact of the last 15 months in there. Um, that game is at 6:30 Tuesday night, uh, an actually reasonable start time for a weeknight game uh, for TV. It'll be on ESPN and Rudy Moss and Danny. Be sure to watch that one. Be fun, you guys. Wait. Really, really. No, I'm. Wait, six thirty is a reasonable start time. On a as weekday? compared to as compared to nine thirty, yes. But how is anyone like? Maybe that's why no one's going to the game is because it's at six thirty on a weekday. Yeah, that's well, true. I, I think I think kickoff is actually scheduled for like seven oh seven. No, because they'll do the nope. half hour pregame show. Bridges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything in our I, hope, trip now. I hope it's just like 30 straight minutes of Twelman just being upset and yelling about the national team, and then and if then he was, just yeah. he like he like takes a deep breath and is like, all right, let's do this, let's start the game. <laughs> yeah, basically just a half hour Twelman hot mic. Yeah, that would be entertaining. I would I would be all about that honestly. Just a half hour of Twelman. It'd be like the Big Head Redhead podcast without Alexi Lawless. Fox Sports could just loan Lawless back to ESPN for one some game, hot, some game hot, some, for, for hot takes. American Soccer has <laughs> had plenty of one game loans. I don't see why we can't do it as announcers or with announcers. <laughs> All right, if if a listener could start a change.org petition to make this happen, it would make me very happy. Uh, of course, by the time you listen to this, it will be the day of the game, right. and Alexi Lawless you, will be probably will in California, not in New Jersey. Nevertheless, I would like to see it happen. Rather than talk about specifically, we're going to just navizing and talking about national. We the roster very briefly. Bill Hamid, our own DC United zone, Bill Hamid, called in this. He will sit almost certainly behind Tim Howard and Brad Gizan. A mixed disc called in one making from the five boroughs. Win of the New England Revolution coming in. Brexhay of Orlando City, who was Jurgen's favorite for a little while, and then he other things happened, and now he's not, but he's back in for this one. And Andrew Wooten, who plays somewhere overseas. Ben Helson. Uh, yeah. Power. He's called in for this one. Um, Oh, and, and one roster change, one late-breaking roster change today. Fabian Johnson, is, uh, he, he is not going to play in this one because um, Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, reference in the last segment, has decided he is the scapegoat for all the long with American soccer because Fabian Johnson, as you know, was developed and came up through the youth ranks in the United States and worked his way up. Oh, oh what's that? No, he's, he's German. He came up in Germany and did everything the German way. Huh, how about that? Anyway, he, he, he pulled himself from the USA-Mexico game in, in extra time, uh, or overtime, or whatever you want to call it, uh, 
decided he, he couldn't go on, even though he didn't have a real injury. He was coming off a calf injury and was playing heat and humidity after 10 minutes. Ricky couldn't go on. In fact, on on the on goal, uh, not standing the game, but less. He was, it was his responsibility to track back in replay. He just watches in no effort at all because he was done. He was spent. It was a huge mistake. He should have tried to fight through it. He just couldn't. And when he pulled himself from the game, Jurgen Klinsmann decided at that point that he's in the doghouse and he's now been exiled from the U.S. men's national team for who knows how long. So, Ben, I'm all about accountability, but Fabian John is one of our best players and was not put in a position to succeed, playing out of position, coming off an injury, playing for 100-plus minutes. I understand holding him accountable for essentially giving up, especially since Klinsman did want to use that third sub on somebody else, whether it was Ramondo, as he says now, or Wondolowski, who has been getting ready to come in. Yeah, Klinsman loves Reality happened, and then Klinsman immediately made up a new new thing. Yeah, it's weird because Fabian taking himself out changes Clint's plans, whether it's to bring on a striker or to bring on a goalkeeper to penalties, which is super trendy and incredibly stupid right now at the same time. If you're playing a game I don't in understand above 90 degree heat, you're not, you're not holding a sub for your goalkeeper in any circumstance. It's an unacceptable proposition. You shouldn't hold the... You shouldn't have. He shouldn't have held you shouldn't the subs hold two of your did. subs for extra time either. Um, but yeah, yeah you, you have to use those subs in a game where your team is doing all the defending in that weather, in those circumstances. You've got to use your subs on field players. Um, you've got to trust Brad Guzan, who's also good at saving penalties, um, to get that done at the time. And and what does that ridiculous statement that obviously. Who knows if it was true or not, but what does that do to Guzan's confidence that he was going to bring in Ramondo to, for him for the upcoming penalties? It probably, it's probably yeah, not going mean, to help his his confidence, but you know Guzan's been through some um, rough stuff before. I think he'll he'll handle it uh, like a professional, uh, which isn't to say he won't just brush it off and it'll be like it never happened. Um, he'll have to you know on his own figure it out and move past it. Um, but it, it, there, for, from multiple angles, it's a, it's a truly awful idea. And it's also, it wasn't his idea at the time because he was going to use the third sub on another striker. He had Wondolowski up to sub in with the third sub. It, it, this happened. It was reported. You could see him standing there waiting to come in and then Bobby Wood scored and they scrambled to change it. And, at the time, it actually made sense to me without the, like, oh, Fabian Johnson signaled that he needed to come out. Fabian Johnson had clearly needed to come out anyway. He didn't need a signal. Uh, he didn't need to tell them, look, guys, I'm, I'm gassed. I have nothing. I have no, no energy left to give. Um, this it was, was the one where, Yeah, he needed to get the hook before that because it's like, wow, you're about to die on your feet. We need to get someone on the field that can run a little bit. Um, so whether or not he was, like, gasping for, for air and saying, like, I, I can't. I have nothing left. Um, if you want to throw him under the bus for for that, okay. But you can't pretend for literally leaving it all on the field. 
Right. Um, but you can't pretend that this ruined the grand scheme to to bring in a goalkeeper. Which, by the way, it, it never came up. If we had if if we had held that sub and Johnson had just stayed in, the game ends three two and you don't go to penalties anyway. So what are you going to do then? Um, hot shot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it just the fact like. We all know that Wanda was up. Like that, that eliminates this as a story that you can tell to to distract everybody. And yet, it has worked because it's such an outrageous story that you can't help but be like, "I I have to react to this." This is ridiculous. Klinsman is like Steve Jobs. He's got this. Re- he, he is like Steve Jobs. He's got a reality de- distortion field around him that so, just so does that changes mean, the narrative. Love him or hate him. Does that mean after his contract ends, and let's be clear, he's not going to get fired. It's when his contract ends, uh, he won't be re-signed. Um, five years after that, we'll get a movie, and then like six months after that, another movie uh, with better people involved, but you'll be totally uninclined to see it because there was already a Steve Jobs movie you didn't want to see before that? Well, unfortunately, that unfortunately, we have to go through the him leaving and then him going elsewhere and having success, and then we bring him back. That's only if you buy the argument that he founded the U.S. national team. That's true. That's true. So, at this point, what is Klinsey's deal? <laughs> I, I don't even know a better way to phrase that. What's your deal, man? What, I mean, what, is his, what is even his deal? He doesn't have a deal. He like If he had a plan and was sticking with it, that would be one thing. But as Kevin McCauley put out on the SB Nation mothership, he just keeps telling lies. He keeps saying things and then not sticking to them. And that's why U.S. fans are so angry at him. If he had one coherent plan that he thought about and that he stuck to, be it a diamond, be it counterattacking, be it possession, be it anything, then and if he stuck with that and tried to improve it over all of these months, these 15 months since the World Cup, we might see some improvement, but at least they would have one coherent plan that they were working towards in all of these limited times that they have to practice together during these international breaks. But it's been different things in different games and different people and different styles. And well, and this no, is something it's, no wonder, it's no wonder nobody can build coherence. Yeah, this is something we've talked about on this show, how Jurgen Klinsmann's statements and what Jurgen Klinsmann does have little to nothing to do with each other. He he says things. He says we want to be proactive. He says we want to dictate terms. We want to be more technical. We don't want to be pinned in our own end the whole time. And he goes out and executes a strategy where that is the only possible outcome is we will be pinned in. We will not be proactive. We'll be incredibly reactive, more so than we were under Bradley or Arena. It's it, He hasn't actually followed through on anything he said at any point as as manager, except that he did try a 3-5-2 for one half after saying that he was going to try it. He tried it. He spent two weeks working on 3-5-2 and spent 45 minutes actually doing it. He did follow through on actually trying it. He threw it away sooner than he probably should have, but anyway, I will, I will ask this. Should Klinsman remain on at U.S. Soccer in any capacity right now. We know he won't be fired from either head coach or technical director. He, he just can't be. The contract is entirely too fat for him, for, for U.S. Soccer to absorb it financially while paying another coach. Jason, do you think he should be shit-canned right now? 
I think you can make a compelling argument in, on both sides that he has to go. Um, the the front office end of it, the GM job, so to speak, the technical director, whatever it's going to be called. Um, the youth national teams have been progressively disappointing. Um, they haven't lived up to what their level of talent appears to be. Um, a lot of those players are stagnating. And you can say, oh, well, they don't get to play with the youth national team very often, but his job is to make sure those players get better, and that means not just when they get called into youth national team camps. It's He needs to be um, involved in that all the time. Um, and when they were when they were not doing well, and when the senior team was not doing well these past uh, this past year, he was put, holding his hat on the youth national team progress as why he should, or his supporters were on why he shouldn't be fired. Right, but that, and I mean, in, in his defense, the U twenty national team, and the U seventeen national team, both have been performing well this year. They they didn't necessarily in the other three years of his tenure, but but they have been better this year. U twenty three teams another story. Well, I mean, you you see things like uh, is it a U seventeen team that just lost eight to one uh, to Germany? Um, oh, you know, whatever that, that result. Yeah. Various you know random youth tournament is. Um, yes. And but you know it, it extends to he's hired coaches that aren't helping these players get better. Um, and the thing is, those coaches don't get like if they fail, they don't get punished. Like Tab Ramos failed and is still around. He was on the bench helping Klinsman coach um, against Mexico. He got um, a promotion, no one, in fact. Yeah, no no one pays a, pro, uh, a price for these things, and he's hired all of these guys. These are his guys. Um, these aren't, you know, the, the biggest names that are out there. These are guys that he, you know, I think um, John Hackworth is going to uh, take a, the oh, – he's going to be coaching the U.S. during this uh, playoff against Canada um, with Herzog, Herzog suspended. Um, so we know John Hackworth uh, from his time uh, of having a terrible time in MLS with the Philadelphia Union um, and being a large reason why that team was bad under his watch. Um, Is he going to start 11 goalkeepers? I mean, Klinsman and Hackworth are injured spirits, let's be honest. They, they have never seen a player who says, you'd be better in another position. <laughs> right. Um, so So... Hiring player or hiring coaches hasn't gone well. Developing players hasn't gone well. The results end of it at the senior national team level hasn't gone well. Um, the youth national teams are doing worse than they used to with what appears to be a better plan, a better and more extensive plan to develop those players. They have these players are not getting time. Uh, in the past, uh, under previous regimes, they didn't have. The USL option wasn't there. They weren't signing with the USL. They were just stuck sitting on the bench for an MLS team. Um, so they've got more playing time. They've got better options, and the results are worse. So as a coach, he's been bad. As a technical director, he's been just as bad. And people can say, well, you have to give him time. Like, Well, he's had five years now um, in the job. Well, I mean, four what, years. Four years? Okay. Yeah, because um, he came had, on after the Gold Cup four years ago. He's he's had time where this should have shaken out. Like, we should be seeing progress. And not only is there no progress, there's not even, like, a clear avenue towards where the progress will start to really show itself. This isn't like, you know, we're not there yet, but I've got the feeling that we're moving in the right direction. Uh, I have the feeling that we are moving around, but uh, we're not really 
you know, we're thrashing around in the water. We're not actually moving towards anything. Um, so yeah, it's time. It, it, and, it's, and the sharks it's, are circling. Um, I don't even think that losing to Mexico makes that much of a difference in my mind. I don't think he was doing a good enough job before that. No, um, I've said I've said in other contexts that if you go into a game, any game in any sport, saying that if we lose this game, the coach is getting fired then you should just go ahead and fire him beforehand. Because if a coach is that close, then he's lost your confidence. If you're thinking that one result will will make you pull the trigger, then you should just go ahead and do it. Because you've already lost confidence. He's already a lame duck, essentially, which is not a good situation for anyone to be in. And for me, that was Jurgen Klinsmann after the Gold Cup. Hell, I, I've been questioning Klinsmann since before the World Cup, but but I was, wasn't in a position to call Aren't you ahead then. Hey, I have proof on the internet that I, I was questioning his tactics and his decision-making, his roster selection, way back when. But, no, but since then, he's just made boggling decision after boggling decision and, and hasn't done anything to address any potential weakness in himself or the team, and it's... it's just ridiculous. So one last thing I want to talk about before we, we move on to DC United is kind of a canard that the Klinsman apologists, I'll just say it, ha- have put out. And that's the idea that there's nobody who could possibly replace Jurgen Klinsman because he's doing X, Y, and Z revolutionary things and and all that, and there's nobody who could possibly replace him, which is which is nonsense. I bet if we went around, three of us, and just took turns naming someone, we'd get around three or four times before we, we even had to stop to think about a name. There are lots of qualified people who could take over the U.S. national team. The only reason they wouldn't be able to is if you buy in this idea that Klinsman is a singular personality that can affect change, which there's not a lot of evidence of, at least outwardly. Obviously, we're not privy to things happening behind the scenes, but there's certainly not a lot of outward evidence that Klinsman has been able to affect any transformation at any level of U.S. soccer. So the idea that that he deserves a cult of personality, which has kind of sprung up around him, at least some of his supporters seem to subscribe to this notion doesn't make a lot of sense Jason what are, you, what are your thoughts I mean the the thing is this is a really good gig uh, if you're uh, a coach uh, with a lot of experience that, that currently doesn't have a job uh, if you've been at a high level if you've tested yourself at a strong you know, Champions League level things like that this is a really good job. You look back at, I mean, Klinsman's been in the job for four plus years. Um, Bradley was given quite a while. Arena got uh, a full uh, two cycles. Um, and there was never, I mean, this is the closest any of those coaches has come uh, to getting fired since, I mean, Bradley got fired after the Gold Cup final. But um, that was after a prolonged critique of him playing too defensively. Um this is the first, Which is I mean, hilarious now. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, that's a long period of time. That's going back into the 90s for three coaches, and we've had two moments where there was some pressure applied to a coach. 
Um, if you're looking for a national team job, uh, if you're tired of um, you know coaching at European clubs where if you lose once in a month, you're terrible and someone's going to throw a rock at your car, um, the lack of pressure involved here is it's probably really appealing. Um, and the fact that you've got a coaching or a player pool that is famous for being very coachable, they're very willing to bend to the will of a coach to try and give that coach... I mean, the U.S. players had every right to rebel when Klinsman was putting them through three-a-days after a full season of... or at least for the European players, putting them through three-a-days after they'd played a full European season, and they didn't rebel. Um, so these are players that are going to be extremely tolerant of even super high-demanding... You know, if you bring in Marcelo Bielsa, um, who has extremely high fitness demands himself because the way he wants his teams to play it requires it, um, Bielsa's career is littered with clubs where it worked for a little while, and the players, they didn't give up on him so much as their bodies just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and then things start to go wrong, and because he's very much a uh, dogmatic coach, there is no, like, well, I could change things. Like, that. that's off the table. Um, the U.S. players would, would would accept that. They wouldn't put up a fight. They would be like, all right, let's do this thing. Um, so any big-time coach should be looking at this and being like, this is a pretty sweet setup. Uh, I, I want to be in on this. All right, you know I love me some Marcelo El Loco Bielsa. I, if I were ever to subscribe to a cult of personality around a soccer manager, it would be his. There's no question. That said, there is someone who who kind of checks all the boxes you make, you you named earlier. He's he is a national team manager of of great experience, arguably the most successful, one of the more successful national team managers that Europe has produced in in recent generations. Uh, he's got Champions League experience with a couple of clubs who aren't necessarily known for their managers having long tenures. Uh, and he's out of work at the moment. His name is Carlo Ancelotti. He, he's incredibly successful at every level, and he's available right now. If you argue, if your argument is that nobody could possibly take over this club, this this national team, this program from Jurgen Klinsmann, I, I point you toward Carlo Ancelotti, who may or may not be willing to take this job, but he's an option that's out there if Sunil Gulati wants to sign another uh, contract that is entirely too rich for. U.S. soccer to afford because you know, they, they cannot afford to fire Jurgen Glinsman, which means his contract is too expensive. You know who's also out there and who's also has a 0% chance of taking the job? What would make me happy, too, for unknown, real unknown reasons? Ben Bromley? Well, I mean, obviously. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone who would actually be qualified to take the job. Who's that? Bora. There's Bora is actually qualified. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think on that because Bora's had the job before, yeah. and I'm I'm not someone who's going to rail against retreads. I'm I've advocated openly. Come on, for... soccer is exactly the same as in 1994. <laughs> in U.S. soccer is exactly yeah. the same as in '94. Well, the way we're playing right now is. Yeah. If you look at if you look at some of the numbers, the way we're playing right now is very reminiscent yeah, exactly. of 1994. I would, I would be pretty amused at Bora deciding to do exactly the same thing over again and calling in a team of like guys that just finished college but haven't joined a professional team yet, <laughs> with like 
like a limit of five guys that actually have professional contracts, uh, and none of the like top guys, but like, um, you know, not, American, not Jordan Morris. <laughs> no, like would call it Lewis. Or, or like Americans that are playing in Mexico but aren't actually playing. Uh, those guys would get in into the uh, the team Ventura Alvarados. Oh yeah, that's I guess that's the downside. You would immediately come back to having Ventura Alvarado back in the team. Again. I immediately regret my decision. Yeah, you ruined this, Adam. I that's what I'm here for. My job is to kill a joke. Um, no, I someone who's going to rail against street treads. I openly advocate U.S. soccer Klinsman and make at Bruce Serena, who is and remains. American coach we've ever produced. Um, and I think that we could do a lot worse than Bruce Arena, especially since he doesn't have a lot left to accomplish at LA, also, at, at the Galaxy. So he he might actually be willing to, to do this as one last job before he retires a hero. Also, he's the swaggiest coach the U.S. has ever produced. He is, and, and the most droll and sarcastic. He's yeah. he's wonderful on a lot of levels. Like his, his interview with the champagne. for the galaxy isn't one. Go ahead. His interview with the champagne bottle after his last MLS Cup. <laughs> that was something else. That was that was outstanding. All right, let's let's turn to MLS now. After, you know, the last couple months, you wouldn't think that I'd be calling a turn to D.C. United happier subjects. But, hey, they're coming off a win and clinching a playoff berth. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is happier than where the U.S. national team is at the moment. D.C. United hosts the Chicago Fire Sunday, 2 p.m. on CSN and MLS Live. That'll be at RFK, though, so you know where I'm going to be. You know where I expect you to be here in the DMV and listening to this. So come to RFK. Uh, the black and red are back in action. After the international break, they will face a fireside playing for their jobs, really, because they don't have anything left to play for as far as playoffs this year. But they're only kind of playing for their jobs. The fire fired Frank Yallop as coach, and Brian Bliss is now the interim manager. That said, he did navigate them to a 3-1 to win over New England uh, last week kept uh, uh, the Revs behind D.C. in third place in the Eastern Conference, so go fire as far as that game goes. Obviously, we don't want to see them repeat that this week. Jason, the biggest thing that Brian Bliss has done that I've noticed, and, and probably the thing that has been, that had paid the biggest dividends against the Revolution, is playing Harry Ship in his damn position. Which took, which took a couple games for Bliss to settle on, um, but the idea has been to get somebody a little more technical underneath Gilberto rather than have Gilberto be the technical second forward um, underneath Kennedy, Igbon, and Nike, which is what was going on before. Um, there was, Mike, the fire are so bad at DPs. I mean, Gilberto well, accepted. I will say, Igbon and Nike, since he was uh, switched off of the DP contract so they could bring in Gilberto, uh, he's actually scored some goals. I mean, he's... He definitely didn't justify the initial investment, but he is a useful player. Um, but, you know, something had to give there. They, they had to diversify their attack. It couldn't all be everyone is fast, and that's all we're up to. Um, so bringing in 
players like Mike McGee uh, playing that second forward role also um, gave them a little more of a thoughtful uh, bent from that position, a little more of a willingness to slow things down and um, pull play back rather than always going forward. Um, and playing Harry Ship in that role also, it kind of alleviates them of the, the issue that Yallop always had was that he couldn't figure out what to do with Harry Ship because Ship re- sort of requires you to let him have some freedom. You've got to be brave enough to say, here are the keys, do what you want, we'll work around you. Um, and Yallop has never been the kind of coach that gives that kind of freedom out. So um, a pretty terrible mismatch for most of the season for Ship and Yallop. But uh, maybe Bliss is, is the kind of person that's going to say, you know what, you're the best player on the team, give or take um, Gilberto uh, and David Akam. You know, you're you're good enough where we're going to take the chance of you getting that freedom. And to give him that freedom, you just play him as a forward because then he doesn't have to be incorporated into your midfield that you're defending in the midfield as much. Um, that's really the only major change, though. Everything else is still the 4-4-2 that Yallop had, was settling on before he was fired is still there. Um, There's still a team that's relying on speed, um, speed down the wings. Um, they are a little soft in central midfield. Um, if anything, I think lately it's been Razvan Kosic and um, Michael Stevens which is an even softer central midfield than some of the previous uh, versions. Um, but they are more technical as a result. They are gaining something. They're not just dropping guys to drop them. Um, Bliss is trying to get more of his soccer players on the field, basically. Um, so there's something to that. I don't know that uh, it's a long-term solution, but they are going to be a little different from the team that, that United last saw with, with the fire in terms of um, – the, that team really didn't have much interest in having the ball other than when they were racing forward. That was the only time they wanted it. Now there are a few players that are like, no, it's it's cool to have the ball sometimes in soccer. Matt Polster should be back from the unfortunately failed USA Olympic qualifying squad. He's been getting a lot of love as a Rookie of the Year candidate and a front runner for Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, do you expect him to play, and, and what difference does he make to Chicago's central midfield? Uh, I would expect him to play. Um, I think, despite, I mean, unfortunately for Fire fans, it's probably going to be at the expense of Mikey Stevens, who has done everything he can to earn a starting job there and just gets overlooked. Um, I think um, Kosis ends up keeping that spot. Um it could be different. It could be that Polster steps in with Stevens and they play the younger players that are going to, you know, be, uh, are the base that you'd want to build around instead of the veteran that hasn't really accomplished anything. Um, there's also the off chance that Polster ends up being played at right back, um, which isn't really a great use of the player, but Chicago has done that a bunch this year. And Bl- it's not like Bliss came out of nowhere. He was part of this, uh, the brain trust in Chicago before Yalop was let go. So, um, if he does play in the midfield, he he certainly adds uh, more physicality, more, um, I would say, a better positional sense in terms of d- defending in the midfield. Um, he still is a pretty good player with the ball um, at his feet. He's not going to open the game up as much as someone like Stevens does, but he can hit a good long pass. Um, I think it will make Chicago a better team with him in central midfield. Um, it certainly makes them harder to beat down the middle, which is 
it's really big for them because their center backs are not re- one is not really a center back and the other is a player they have on loan um, from the Trinidadian league um, in Daniel Cyrus. He hasn't really looked like an MLS ready player. Um, Eric Gehrig is out for the rest of the season. He broke his foot a couple weeks ago. Um, so they need somebody to protect them down the middle. And if if I were Brian Bliss coming to this game and I got Polster back, I would absolutely put him in midfield. I wouldn't think twice about it because this team needs that shield. Um, and he's really the only player on their roster that would provide that shield. Um, and, and other than that, I, I, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what they're going to do just because Polster has, or not Polster, um, Bliss has changed at least one thing in every single game. Um, so we could see him decide to see if Polster's a long-term right back instead um, because Chicago's not really playing to win this game. They're sort of looking at what combinations of players work for the long term. Um, they want to see what they're going to do in 2016, which is what they should be doing with, with these games, and they probably should have started this a little earlier than they did because, let's be honest, they were pretty much dead in the water um, a couple months ago. Um, but there It's impressive play- to see an interim manager actually playing out for the future, though he's planning well, as if... Brian Bliss is planning as if he's he's going to be sticking around, which is interesting to see. Yeah, and it could be that he planned on sticking around just in his the technical director job that he had, um, or it could be that he wants to now become a coach. I mean, that's how Peter Vermes got into um, coaching is that he mm-hmm. was an inter- he was a technical director who became interim manager who said, you know what, I actually kind of like this. I'm doing this now, and no one said I'm no. hiring me. Right. Um, no one said no, and, uh, you know, Kansas City has won some games since then, so yeah, sometimes now he's the right decision. Of, yeah, we, we didn't mention his name in the last conversation about the U.S. national team, but he's certainly as unrootable as he can be for those of us who are not sporting Kansas City fans. He obviously would be a candidate for U.S. men's national team coach if Klinsman were fired. I wonder I wonder about him because I don't. he won't be able to pick. His eye for players has helped him in Kansas City quite a bit, um, and national team coaches can't – like if you just find yourself with a limited position, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you just have to coach guys up or come up with a new scheme, which is another thing he's not really good at. Um, yeah. But would he would he do better with this pool of players in Klinsman? He absolutely would do better with this group of players. But that's you know that's a big pool of coaches that would do that. Anyway, um, I think with 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 Polster, he's definitely going to be on the field because he's he's you know as we talked about, he's a rookie, he's a young player that. Chicago's going to be – they should be trying to build around as long as he stays in the league. He's not a player they should be ever thinking about trading. Um, they should be looking for him, Ship, and David Akam, and Mikey Stevens. Those are the guys that they should – and Gilberto, uh, poor old Gil, um, <laughs> who, who, who scored a really re- – his goal against New England was really something. It's not really, you know, the most eye-catching finish because it's it's from four yards out, but it's like – along the end line and his back was to goal and he just sort of whips his body around acrobatically and, and he's only getting, he only gets glancing contact because that's all the contact he was ever able to get on the ball. Um, and he still manages to, to have the, the mindset and the awareness to say, you know, if I swing around and, and have a shot here, it might just trickle in. Um, so he got, he finally got a lick of the old brass ring. Um, I say finally, but he's actually scored several times since he came to Chicago. But those are the guys they need to build around, and I feel like 
whether Polster ends up in midfield or at right back. I, I personally think he's 100% a midfielder. I think it's crystal clear. But he, he will definitely be on the field, and he'll probably improve them no matter which position he ends up walking into. Ben, let's turn our attention to DC United for a bit. Kofi Opari got the start over, well, not over Steve Birnbaum last week because Birnbaum was out with uh, yellow card accumulation suspension. But Opare, outside of the first minute of the game, availed himself very, very well. At least was the general consensus. Who do you expect to start in central defense for United in this game? I expect Steve Birnbaum to start, I think. I mean, it'll obviously depend on practice this week, but I, I, I still think he is the better partner for Bobby Boswell, and I think that at both of their peaks, he's a better player than Kofi Opare is. Uh, I mean, if he shows in practice that he's not up to it right now, then, of course, Kofi Apari could start over him. But I expect to see Steve Birnbaum back on the field and starting next to Bobby Boswell. Who do you want to see? I mean, I want Steve, Bur- I want Steve Birnbaum to prove that he is the player we knew he was last year and justify his starting spot over Kofi Apari because he's a better player when both are at their peak. So I want him to show that again. If they're both playing at the level they were recently. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. That silence is entirely fair. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right, Jason, let's, let's close this down with, uh, how do we beat the fire? They're obviously a beatable team. They, they have not won a whole lot of games this year. What should DC United be doing to beat them come Sunday? Well, the major thing is, is United has to be good in transition. Um, with Chicago's speed, uh, when United loses the ball, they have to be, get, be getting into good positions and getting organized immediately. Um, if you don't, if you're not slowing Chicago down, then you've got a track meet on your hands, and a lot of teams have had um, some some problems with that. I mean, the Red Bulls lost to Chicago. And then had they beat them three two at Red Bull Arena, but it was a difficult, demanding game. It was much a much harder game than it should have been given their positions in the standings. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with Chicago knowing what what they're good at right now. And it's if they win, if they turn the ball over, they spray it out wide, and that winger takes off as fast as he can with the ball. Um, so United has to get into positions where either the the winger receives the ball but can't start running at full speed. They have to slow down and get around somebody, something like that. Or the central midfielders can't spray the ball out wide. They've got to do something else. If they get boxed in, they've got to play backwards or try and find a forward. The game slows down, and then you're going to have an easier time dealing with Chicago. Um, With Harry Ship floating around, and I assume they're going to leave him in that role because they won doing that. It seems like a pretty straightforward uh, equation for me. Um, with, with him out there, you've got you've got to have somebody in his face all the time because when Ship turns up upfield, he's always going to see whatever it is that you're going to have the hardest time defending, he's going to see it and be able to exploit it, whether it's um, a chip over your back four that you weren't expecting or he'll dribble, dribble, you know, he'll put a fake on somebody, send them one way, and then come back the other. Um the range of skill that he's got and the inventiveness that he's got um, are a big problem. And if you're the, the good news is that he's not very mobile. Um, so if United is active, if they're in his face, 
Um, they're probably going to shut him down, but, you know, you make one mistake against a player with his quality and you can pay for it. Um, other than that, I would say they've got to focus on getting at the center backs. I talked about, you know, that, that center back duo of Lorenowitz and, and Daniel Cyrus just, you know, there's a reason why Chicago hasn't been very good defensively. And they've got a guy that's not really a natural center back playing alongside a rotating cast of, of characters. Um, Cyrus is the newest character in that case. Um, Attacking down the right also would be pretty inviting. Lovell Palmer is not really anything special at right back. Um, so there are plenty of, there are plenty of avenues to get at Chicago and cause them problems. Um, but you, the main thing is you've got to frustrate them in transition because if you start to get into, especially DC United, DC United might be the slowest team in the league. Um, if you start to get into a track meet against a team like Chicago with, with, um, David Akam, with Patrick Niarco, um, Igbon Anike, I assume would, would sub in. He didn't play in the last game, but I assume he would get in if, if Chicago, if Chicago saw that they had a track meet, they're going to sub him into the game. Um, that's not something United's cut out to deal with. Even if Steve Birnbaum comes back and we get our fastest defender on the field, it, that's not really going to fix the problem. Um, it really has to be a team wide effort in making Chicago play slow. When they turn the ball over, they have to be forced into, a patient style of game, and they're not—they're not, not going to be easy because they are not going to want to do that. Um, but if United can make it so that they can't do anything else, then either Chicago is going to have to play slow and they'll struggle, or B, they're going to try to fight through it anyway and lose the ball, and then you know United's back in possession and everything's great. Um, either way, if you if you win in transition, if you're not the team chasing the game. Uh, against the fire, then you've probably got them uh, in a pretty good spot because otherwise, you know, their record reflects the reality of their situation, which is that they have some very good young players, but they're still not a very good team. And if you can take their plan A off the table, then that's pretty much game over for them. They they really struggle to deal with teams that can get back into defensive positions quickly. Well, hopefully United manages to keep their one-game winning streak going. And it's not really a streak a... when it's just one game. Shh. <laughs> Don't correct me on the show, Jason. <laughs> I've, I've corrected you a lot on this show. Like it's, now. It's... <laughs> That was really meta, and I don't, yeah. I don't have a response to that, so I'm going to end the show. Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu at Black and Red U. We are on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Mostly, just tell a friend about us. Be sure to send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Rise and shine, rub the sleep out of my eyes And try to tell myself I can't go back to back It's gonna be a lonely, 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 lonely